0: More than 1,600 caucuses uh, are underway in Iowa right now. We're expecting to get results very soon, Tom. We're awaiting the results. The first results from the Iowa caucuses should be coming in very, very soon. Almost two hours, these caucuses have been underway. And so far, no official results yet. Uh, This is pretty unusual. Zero percent uh, of the precincts uh, have reported so far, even though the polls, uh, the uh, caucuses closed, what, four hours ago. No results at all.
1: When primary season comes around, Iowans don't cast ballots. They caucus, which means they meet in high school gyms and public libraries and vote with their feet. Sanders supporters stand in one corner. Buttigieg fans stand in another. It's extremely old school. John Green ran his local caucus on Monday night. We spoke the next morning. How are you feeling today? Ah,
0: uh, flummoxed, discombobulated. Uh, adrift, frustrated. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Aw. John said the caucusing part went great. The problem was reporting the results. In the past, caucus volunteers have generally done this by calling into a hotline. But a few weeks ago... The Iowa Democratic Party sent volunteers instructions to download a new smartphone app.
0: And the assumption from the Iowa Democratic Party was that most of us would use this app to report our results. OK. The second assumption was made by most of the caucus chair people, which was this app is new. It's weird. It's difficult to install. Mm-hmm. So we're just going to phone in like we always have.
1: John understood where his fellow volunteers were coming from. He works in IT, and even he found the app hard to install.
0: In order to make sure that everything is secure, they want you to do multi-factor authentication. So when you're doing the registration for MFA, you get a QR code. It's one of those square barcodes. Right. The idea is that you take a picture of that with your authenticator app, And if people are confused at this point, (laughs) I get it. So anyway, you've got this QR code on your phone that you're expected to take a picture of with your phone.
1: John eventually got the app on his phone. But when he tried to sign in on Monday before the caucus even started, it failed. All he got was an error message. Protocol denied. So he tried to go the old route and call in the results at the end of the night. But he got put on hold for way longer than expected.
0: You had a bunch of people trying to phone in results when the state party apparently assumed that the lion's share of us would be using the app, and so we overwhelmed the system.
1: The whole thing was a shit show, and John wasn't really surprised.
0: When you sign up to run a caucus, you're signing up to meet with your neighbors. You're not signing up to become a geek.
1: The tech meltdown in Iowa delayed caucus results for days. But Iowa aside, new mobile voting technologies are being piloted across the country. Today on the show, voting. There's an app for that. I'm Ariel Zimmros. This is Reset. Miles Parks, political reporter for NPR, you, along with Iowa Public Radio's Kate Payne, broke the news that Iowa would be using an app for its caucus about a month ago. So to start, were the issues that we saw on Monday foreseeable?
2: I wish I could say no, that this was kind of like out of nowhere, but it's really not the case. Kate gave me a call uh, on like January 8th and was like, hey, just so you know, I was at a precinct leader training and they're using this app. Have you heard anything about it? I had not and did a real quick web search and no one else had been reporting this at all. And so we started asking questions about it. And kind of your most basic questions when you have any new voting technology is who has tested it, who developed it, right? you know, what kind of plans do you have in in place when you talk about like, um, resilience, like what what are the backup plans and have those backup plans been tested at a wide scale?
1: Were people answering your questions?
2: Absolutely not. We did get an interview with Troy Price, uh, who is the head of the Iowa uh, state party, Democratic Party here, and he just kept saying, we have backup plans upon backup plans the best cybersecurity experts have looked at this thing, but declined to answer which cybersecurity experts those were and declined to mm. detail the backup plans. He said there was going to be a phone line, but wouldn't tell us how many people would be staffing the phone lines. And he really declined to answer whether this app had been put through the ringer, so to speak, in terms of the usability of it. They wouldn't answer, Has is this going to be tested statewide? What's the training like? The thing that kind of surprised us the most was in mid-January, just three weeks before the caucuses, the precinct leaders who were going to be using the app had not seen it yet. I cover voting for a living. Election administrators would never institute a new voting technology six months before an election. The idea that people who were going to be kind of the front lines of this caucus had not seen a key technology just a couple weeks before. To me, I was just thinking, this, this smells like it could present real problems.
1: So if this didn't seem like a great idea to you, why do you think the Iowa Democratic Party did this at all?
2: There's been a huge push for the last four years since 2016 to make the caucuses less archaic. Um, accessibility, had been an issue um, in 2016, and it's been something the Democratic Party has been really focused on. In uh, Usually the conversation has been, a, been basically, should Iowa really be first? There's a lot of arguments that say caucuses just aren't the most successful way of voting. They're really hard to get to for a lot of people, people who work shift work uh, or work nights have a lot of trouble with.
1: Right, they start specifically at 7 p.m. And if you arrive at 7.03, you are not allowed to enter the building where they're happening um, and you have to be there in person. So those are huge accessibility issues.
2: Right, and that kind of goes against the entire Democratic Party's voting platforms the last couple of years. You think about how much this party has been focused on the idea of voting rights and voting accessibility. There's kind of an inherent contradiction there uh, for the caucuses to be the first uh, part of this Democratic primary. So the Iowa Democratic Party, who really, really loves being first, basically wanted to find a way that how can we make the caucuses A quicker process and a more up-to-date process and so they at first six months ago were toying around with this idea of um allowing mobile caucusing
1: it's trying to figure out how to get more people to vote when they cannot physically make it to a caucus event so so iowa introduced virtual caucuses a way to vote by telephone
2: which presented a bunch of different security concerns.
1: The DNC will reject the telecaucusing plan of casting preferences on a cell phone due to the potential for hacking.
2: But it also kind of gets you into the mindset of what would motivate this state party to do this, despite all of these questions. This was a state party who was facing a lot of scrutiny for having a long drawn out process and having something that was kind of archaic. And so you think about voting technology would kind of potentially give it the the sheen of something new. Uh, and they were saying that the app was going to make things quicker. I know it's hard to believe now the idea that this app would, would make things quicker, but they were right. they were they were touting this as like we might have results by nine or 10 p.m. Eastern time on the night of the caucus. So that I think that kind of helps you understand, uh, you know, what was the thinking behind it?
1: In the aftermath of the Iowa caucus, there was a lot of talk about whether this was actually a hacking or if anybody interfered with this app and who was behind it. Um, We now know a lot more about who actually made this app. Can you tell me a little bit about that?
2: Yeah, so this was a DC-based political technology firm called
0: Shadow. Shadow Incorporated. And we're finding out a little bit more about them because not only has the Buttigieg campaign actually uh, contracted out with this developer for building uh, a text message service, but also the Biden campaign, as well as uh, the former Gillibrand presidential campaign.
2: And while we know that this is a fairly new company, and we know some of the people, these are former um, Hillary Clinton and former Obama staffers who have been kind of involved with the company. We still don't know a whole lot about what went into the development, how long they were working on this. Uh, the New York Times reported that they only started building it just a few months ago. Uh, we haven't, NPR hasn't confirmed that, but um, we know that it was the company Shadow that that built it for Iowa.
1: Okay. And so far, there does not seem to be any evidence of, of hacking or interference of any kind.
2: There isn't. And the party has said that with complete confidence. It's kind of one of the only things that they have said uh, very straightforwardly.
1: So no hacking in Iowa. It just seems like the app didn't really work. But it does make me wonder if there are other movements like this across the U.S. Are, are apps becoming more common in U.S. elections?
2: The short answer is yes, but it's still not widespread enough for people to think, oh gosh, am I going to show up to my election in 2020? And is it just going to be somebody operating a smartphone? In general, apps are still not kind of taking over voting in America, but there are these small pockets of places that are experimenting with the idea of it. West Virginia. It's going to allow all uh, overseas and military voters to use an app to vote uh, in 2020. Uh, the city of
0: Denver. Denver, Colorado, will test a program to allow some voters to cast their ballots via a smartphone app. How about that?
2: There's a, a county in Utah that's going to allow um, disabled voters to vote by app.
1: So it's, it's generally being looked at to make it easier for for folks who belong to particular groups, whether it's service members or or people who are disabled, that tends to be the way that this is moving forward.
2: Right. And part of that is the fact that it's just a little easier for election officials and the public to swallow this big change in voting technology for those specific populations for a number of reasons. One is that there's not that many of these populations in a lot of these cases. Mm -hmm. Like you look at West Virginia even though it's all military and overseas voters you're still talking about a very small isolated population the other thing is that these are people who in a lot of cases were already voting using insecure methods we don't talk about it very much but overseas and military voters have traditionally over the last decade been able to vote by sending an email or sending a fax back to their election administrators mm. so If the alternative is email or fax, then yes, this app voting could potentially be a more secure and easier way to do it. It becomes problematic when you start talking about expanding it, A, on a scale to, you know, thousands or millions of people. Right. And then also just for all eligible voters, there's just a lot of reasons that experts get really worried when you start talking about that.
1: So what exactly are experts worried about? What are the arguments against online voting?
2: bottom line is that if you started a brand new county and you were going to start voting, there's kind of a playbook for how you can do it in a secure way. It involves really rigorous auditing. It involves having paper backups. There is this system in place that we know is not hackable in terms of even if you were able to break into one portion of this system, you would be able to go back the day after the election and check the actual paper ballot that either somebody marked or somebody looked at before it was turned in and say, no, this result is not right. I can see it with my eyes and I'm able to check that. With an internet-based voting system, we just are not to a place where we have any confidence, experts say, that what you're looking at is actually how people voted. Because if you're voting on a smartphone or on a laptop, the thing that the election administrators get is something that has traveled across the internet to get there. The fact that you have even just the slightest potential doubt there, Mm. election experts say the internet just isn't a place that can touch votes at this point.
1: Given that and given what happened in Iowa, do you think that that's going to stop any other online voting efforts around the country? You know, are people going to look at the Iowa Democratic Party and go, we don't want to be those guys?
2: I wish I could say yes, that it's going to motivate people to take a stronger look at it. But you think about it, just four years ago, we saw a foreign adversary use cyber attacks to break into uh, election equipment.
0: Today, a grand jury in the District of Columbia returned an indictment presented by the special counsel's office. The indictment charges 12 Russian military officers by name for conspiring to interfere with the 2016 presidential election.
2: They were able to hack into the elections networks of multiple counties in Florida and into a company that administers election equipment. And yet, just a couple years later, there's these counties across the country that are experimenting with this stuff. The other thing that we haven't talked about yet is just the turnout idea. Election administrators, yes, they want to keep their elections safe and they want everyone to believe that they're legitimate. But they also really, really want people to participate. And so if you're in a county Mm -hmm. that has a really low turnout rate or maybe you have a very rural population and people have trouble getting to the ballot boxes, that can be very viscerally upsetting to these election administrators. And it puts them in a position where they're willing to try new things to chase accessibility and turnout. And so. Yes, I think people are going to think about the Iowa situation when they think about, oh how much do I need to test my system before I implement it for a nationally spotlighted election? But is this going to be a case where um, people just give up on using the internet or new voting technologies completely? I don't think that is because I think I think people just are right now are really concerned about you know, the, the low turnout rates in a lot of elections. and I think that is going to be a key motivator still.
1: We reached out to the Iowa Democratic Party and to Shadow Inc. They didn't respond before our deadline. The pilot programs Miles has spoken about so far involve relatively small groups of voters. But there's one U.S. election, happening right now, in which more than a million people can cast their votes online. That's after the break. This is Reset. If you purchase supplies for a small to mid sized business, Zorro.com, that's Zoro.com, that's Z O R O.com, is your go to resource. At Zoro, you'll find all the things that keep a business running, no matter what kind of business you're in. Zoro offers tools, safety equipment, cleaning and maintenance supplies, office and shipping, automotive, industrial equipment, and more, including the special items you can't find anywhere else. Whether you're shopping for an office, factory, contracting business, or machine shop, you can get exactly what you need. Want fast, free shipping? It's yours when you spend $50 or more. And if you have a question, a return, or need help finding exactly the right item, count on Zorro's customer service based right here in the U.S. Visit zorocom slash reset and sign up for Zmail to get 15% off your first order. That's zorro.com slash reset. And sign up for Zmail for 15% off. Zero.com. All you need to make your business go. Okay, we're back. Miles Parks, NPR. Let's go to Seattle. You've done some reporting there. And from what I understand, there's a district there that wants to allow everyone to vote in a special election via smartphone. So what exactly is the plan?
2: So the plan at this point, and this is the King Conservation District is what it's called. This is like a state chartered agency that works on conservation issues. And they have an election for a board of supervisors seat that's open right now. Uh, the election goes through early February. And yeah, they're allowing all eligible voters in this more than a million person district to vote using their smartphone. This is not a primary or presidential election. I think it's really important to make that clear or even a you know city commission in Seattle election. This is for this very small kind of agency in Seattle. And part of the motivation from their perspective has been the fact that no one has participated in this election previously. Like in the last similar election, there were less than 4,000 people out of a more than a million person district. So this is just something people have not been participating in uh, previously. They wanted to try something new, ideally to chase like we talked about, chase those turnout numbers. We'll see if that works. But basically, people will be able to cast their ballot online in this in this conservation district election.
1: So this is like the definition of a situation where voter turnout is just dismal. And the idea of using a smartphone is is to just increase voter turnout, hopefully exponentially.
2: Right. They're they're going to try and use this Internet voting based system uh, and We don't know yet whether that'll work. I'm very I'm going to be very curious to see after the election is done and see actually what it does to turn out. I think a lot of people will be watching that.
1: And when exactly is this special election taking place?
2: So it's February 11th is technically the election day, but voting is open right now. People can in this in this district can go uh, and cast their ballots online right now. We'll know the results uh, on February 11th.
1: So how exactly is this going to work? I, I mentioned the word smartphone earlier, but what we're actually talking about is, is online voting, right?
2: Right. So this is actually, it's interesting because there's a couple different companies that are experimenting with methods to allow uh, these overseas and military voters in some cases, but to allow voting populations to vote online. Uh, this company that's going to be uh, operating this election is called Democracy Live. They're a Seattle-based voting company. And they're actually not an app. They, it's not a downloadable app that you use. You use the internet browser on your smartphone, uh, and you're able to use basically your name and birth date to log into a web portal. And then it takes you to a place where it will um, give you a ballot, and then you flip over your smartphone. And before you submit your ballot, you're able to review it. And then after that, it says, please sign it, say who you say you are, and say that your confirmations are correct. And then you sign it on your smartphone using your finger and send it in.
1: Huh. I got to say, name and birth date. I mean, I I know my sister's name and and her birthday. If I lived in Seattle and she did too, I feel like I could easily vote for her. What are the safeguards there?
2: Yeah, I think that's exactly what election officials say when they heard about this system. The safeguard, honestly, is that last step I talked about. It's the signature. Uh, The voting company that is administering this technology says Washington state is a mostly vote-by-mail state. And so the election administrators there are really adept at reading people's signatures and comparing them to their previous signature uh, that they've turned into the election office and being able to tell if that's the right person. So what they say is, like, if you were able to log in for your sister, for your cousin, anyone I know, probably, I don't know, a few dozens people's birthdays, if I was able to do that, they say that the election administrator would be able to look at the signature uh, and know that I wasn't, you know, my brother or my cousin Mm. and be able to throw away that ballot or reach out to the voter and say, hey, this signature doesn't match. Can you come down to the office and confirm?
1: Yeah, my overall reaction to that is for this kind of an election, that seems kind of fine. But I don't think that kind of system would scale to federal elections, for instance. Um, So I'm a little skeptical. Should I be skeptical?
2: Yeah, I think that's definitely the correct impulse to have. That was the impulse I had. Like I said, this is happening in so many different pockets of the country with so many different populations. I would be very doubtful that if they were ever going to scale it to all eligible voters in a specific county at any point, uh, that the signature verification would be the only verification method. Mm-hmm. Um, and if, yeah. they, if they did it that way, I think you would need more on the front end, more than just birth date and name to make uh, make make security experts happy.
1: Uh, the, the other, Just to be clear, I want to remind people that elections fraud and, and voting fraud is does not happen often. It is not actually a thing in the U.S., even though people think that it is. But I would want an extra level level of security, I think.
2: Yeah, well, what's interesting, too, is, like you're saying, voting fraud, especially when we talk about in-person voting fraud, on a whole, statistically, doesn't really happen. But what's interesting is vote-by-mail fraud does happen at a slightly uh, larger rate Mm. than in-person fraud happens. We know that. That's what people who study voting statistics tell me. And so if you think about it that way, that There is a little bit more instances of vote by mail fraud than there is in person. Then you think about a system like this and you just have to assume that in any situation where you don't actually have to go interact with another human being to cast a ballot, there probably would be more instances where people would try to mess around with either voting for somebody they knew uh, or to cast more ballots than they maybe should have. Mm. Mm-hmm. That doesn't necessarily mean that somebody would try to swing an election that way. But just judging by the fact that vote by mail numbers, fraud numbers are a little higher than in person. I think it's safe to assume that Internet voting, at least fraud attempts, would would be slightly higher as well.
1: I, I got to ask, though, who's pushing for this program in Seattle? Who wants this?
2: Uh, it's the same person who uh, wants uh, Internet voting everywhere else. It's Bradley Tusk. He's been on the show before. Many He is a. a guy named Bradley a, Tusk. For some reason, you keep having me back. I keep <laughs> assuming each one's going to be the last one. He's a former Democratic him. staffer who got really rich by being on kind of the the bottom floor of Uber. Huh. Uh, and so he has all of this money. He has a philanthropy called Tusk Philanthropy. And one of his missions has been to expand mobile voting. He's paying for the entire when you talk about the King Conservation District in Washington State, how they're going to be rolling this out. He's paying for that entire program. He's paying for West Virginia to experiment with this for uh, overseas and military voters. He's paying in Oregon and Colorado and uh, Utah. He's paying for all of these programs.
0: You're going to use this as an entry point to go nationwide, aren't you? Yes, that's That's what it's it's all about. That's what I'm trying to do.
2: This is somebody who thinks this is the future of voting and wants to show people that it is secure and that the usability uh, is real and that it will not blow up in your face if you do this. So he's basically paying for the government to experiment uh, with this method of voting.
1: I hate myself for saying this, but it's Uber for voting.
2: (laughs) It's hard not to see it. I know. But what's interesting is, you know, we are people who think about tech Mm -hmm. in a more nuanced way. What Tusk says when I talk to him is that that's kind of a Washington, D.C., big city, way of thinking about this stuff. Hmm. He says that when you go tell voters in you know, middle America or places that aren't sitting around thinking of worst case scenarios about this, that they'll get really excited. Uh, I'm curious to see if he's correct on that is as these pilot programs start happening, he says he wants to fund between 35 and 50 more pilot programs over the next five years. Wow. So we're probably going to see more little pockets like this popping up and we'll, I'll be very curious to see if voters are skeptical of that or if they kind of run to this very excitedly.
1: Bradley Tusk, are his programs, his his pilot programs, are they actually working? Are, are many of them up and running already?
2: They are. Um, and it's kind of a brilliant marketing strategy from Tusk in terms of he's able to kind of get all of these little places doing this and creating this data stream that he'll be able to use when he goes and markets it more broadly to these other counties, and he'll be able to say, "Well, West Virginia's doing it, and they love it, and they're doing it in Oregon already. Like, shouldn't you be doing this too?" The Secretary of State of West Virginia, uh, Mac Warner, loves it. I mean, he he at conferences when he's at conferences with other state officials, he talks about how turnout has increased because of uh, these programs with his military and overseas voters. Uh, and we have not seen an issue of a cyber attack or a wide scale. Breaking down of any of these apps yet. Again, these are very small populations that have experimented with them. And because it's interesting, because of the lack of huge media attention on these programs, they also don't have the same kind of target on their back as maybe more broad um, voting systems in America do. I think as they start gaining a little bit more steam, I'd be curious to know whether there are increased efforts by adversaries to, in some way, target this infrastructure.
1: Is Bradley Tusk uh, affiliated with any kind of party? He
2: says he's not. Uh, He says he's doing this as an independent uh, American who just wants to increase turnout. But this is somebody who has worked in Chuck Schumer's office. This is somebody who uh, was a longtime Democratic staffer. So the cynical politics reporter in me says, well, if you increase turnout... You know, it's like one of the most cliche political sayings. You increase turnout, that helps the Democrats. So I think the cynical part of me wants to say Tusk is doing this, you know, to help Democrats specifically. He says he's not. He says that the fact that we have congressional races that are decided by voting populations that are only 20, 30, 40 percent of the eligible voting population in this country is a crisis. But
1: we live in a world where turnout in most elections is less than 20%. In fact, in most
0: primaries, it's barely more than 10%. And because of gerrymandering, most primary elections in the U.S. effectively are the general election.
2: And he just wants to fix that.
1: Miles Parks is a reporter for NPR. You can hear him on the NPR Politics Podcast. We reached out to Bradley Tusk and Democracy Live, the company that's helping with the election in Seattle, to ask about the initiative. Brian Finney is the president of Democracy Live. He told us that this pilot is designed to test, quote, more secure methods to comply with federal ballot transmission laws. He also said that he doesn't view the system they're running as online voting per se. Instead, he called it, quote, paper-based mobile voting. Voters can sign their ballots electronically but they'll ultimately be printed out by the elections office and counted on paper. In a statement, a spokesperson for Bradley Tusk told us that, quote, secure, remote, electronic voting presents a better way to run our elections. We just need the courage to pursue it. This is Reset, and I'm Arielle Dumras, but you don't have to say it that way. You can find me on Twitter. I'm at ADRS. You can also reach the Reset team by emailing reset at vox.com. We publish episodes three times a week on Tuesdays, Thursdays and Sundays. So if you haven't already, subscribe to the pod. You can find us on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher or in your favorite podcast app. And if you like what you hear, rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. It really helps. Will Reed, Skylar Swenson and Bird Pinkerton produce the show. Our engineer is Eric Gomez. Our intern is Daniel Marcus. Golda Arthur is our executive producer. Liz Kelly Nelson is the editorial director of Vox Podcasts. And the mysterious Brickmaster Cylinder composed our wonderful theme music. Reset is produced in association with Stitcher. And we're part of the Vox Media Podcast Network. We'll be back on Tuesday. Later, nerds.